Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Alana. And I'm Nina. And I'm Jessica. And I'm Sachi. We, we are, are the Feminations. Feminations. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey everyone, and welcome or welcome back to Feminations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. This is Ahana, and for those who don't know, this podcast is born out of a class project for Women's Studies 4900S, integrating theory and practice under the guidance of Dr. Josie Leinbach at the University of Georgia. In this podcast, the five of us, all Asian American women, discuss current events and our own lived experiences through an intersectional feminist lens. In our last episode, we discussed the good and bad representation in media and our own experiences with the pressures of whitewashed beauty standards. So if you haven't given that a lesson yet, be sure to check it out soon. Anyways, we are recording this episode titled You Sad Bro on Thursday, May 7th at 12.20 p.m. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month and Mental Health Awareness Month. So today we're going to be navigating the nuances of mental health in context of COVID-19, as well as Asian American culture in general, and how to self-care in a time like this. Let's get started. I want to begin with a quick mental health check with everyone. I personally have my like good and bad days during this quarantine. Um, It definitely is like a really hard time for everyone, but I'm going to be honest, I think I'm like not at my parents' house and I'm at my apartment in college and that definitely has helped me stay in the schedule and kind of just do what I want to be doing and that definitely helps my mental health um but I'm not with my family and that also can hurt mental health sometimes because I miss them and I'm worried about their safety so that's kind of how I'm doing right now I have my good days my bad days um drinking iced coffee helps sometimes (laughs) but how are y'all doing um, I feel like it's hard to answer that question because I have like 55 different answers depending on like what I'm talking about. Like, and again, I totally agree with you that I have like some good days and some like worse days. Um, also, I'm Nina, by the way, for those of you who don't recognize my voice. Um, and I'm staying at home with my family. So that like complicates things. And I also think like the same thing that like some things are good about staying with my family and also some things are not so great about staying with my family. Um, but I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that like I'm kind of in the same boat as all of y'all, as probably all of you guys are as well. Um, but I also have like 55 different answers for this. I've always kind of struggled with a lot of anxiety and depression. So I think that a lot of that's kind of like heightened in the moment. Um, and I'm also like living with my family. And so like Nina said, like, there's a lot of good things that can come with that. Like they feed me and they do my like laundry and they love me and that's like fun. But then like also there's a lot of stress when you live with your family and like Indian families are complicated too. So that can bring out a lot of, I guess, extra anxiety and cause a little bit of extra depression. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I also have my good days and my bad days. Today is like a semi good day. So that's good. good. Yesterday was like, not a great day and like in the coming days I kind of expect to get a little bit more sad just because we are kind of ending our college career some of us are and like we'll be graduating but there's no way to commemorate that and so it doesn't really feel any different so I know that in the next couple of days I'm gonna like begin processing that for real and like definitely expect like those like washings of sadness to come through (laughs) yeah um this is Jessica I wanted to echo what all of y'all said about having like really big fluctuations in mood and energy from day to day. In general, I feel like I've just noticed that I have a lot less energy. Um, And I think part of that comes from literally being in the same like 10 square feet 24 seven and like going outside maybe once a day on good days to get some sunlight and fresh air. Um, And I think a big part of it also just comes from the feeling that everything I'm doing right now sort of seems pointless in some ways. I felt that a lot with school, particularly. Um, Once classes went online and we didn't get an option to do pass-fail for our classes, especially as a second semester senior, my motivation was already low coming into this semester, but after going online with a literal pandemic plaguing the world, 
it felt so futile to be going through the motions of logging on to Zoom classes and writing papers and turning in assignments as if everything was normal. Um, and it just seemed like I was doing all of this for nothing. So it was really hard to find the motivation and the, and the energy to do things that I otherwise would have, you know, found a lot more meaning in and possibly enjoyed. Um, like in general, I like learning and I'm really interested in and passionate about a lot of the things that I'm learning about, but right now I just don't have the mental capacity to find that passion. Um, so that's been really difficult. I also feel like it's just harder to like find joy in little things. Like everything just kind of feels the same every day. And so it's harder to like appreciate things that become sort of monotonous, like even cooking for me, like that's usually something that I really love and enjoy. But when I have to do it three times a day, every single day without like any other option, it becomes a chore. And also, can we just talk about dishes? Because dishes pile up so Ooh, fast. You literally read. And, oh my God. Sorry, I didn't mean to say the F word, but you literally read my mind. I was like, every day we be doing dishes. So many. And you go to sleep, and then the next day you do dishes again. Exactly. I don't think I've ever like ran my dishwasher every single day for this long. Like this is insane. My dishwasher even break. Like it's not that strong in the first place. That is the <laughs> that is the most sure. obvious indicator that you're living by yourself. Because I live with my parents right now, and there's no way in hell, even in the global pandemic, would they ever use the dishwasher. Okay. <laughs> Asian parents don't use the dishwasher. Okay. But they don't um, trust them. They don't trust them. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like living in quarantine, like I'm like on one hand, it's been really it's actually been really nice to be back living at home with my parents again. I haven't lived with my parents for this long since like high school. Um, and I have big mommy issues, so it's like <laughs> and abandonment issues so I was like this is so nice my mom can make me soup and I don't have to get up um it's really really nice and that's such a privileged take and I know that and I'm sorry um but it, yeah it's just been nice like to be able to you know wake up every day and know that my you know my family is safe with me in one place that I can kind of keep track of them know exactly where they are and that's been really relieving. On the other hand, it's been quite stressful in my house because both my parents are unemployed. And so I've been the one, because I'm the only person in this house besides my sister, but she's like 12. I'm the only person in this house who can <laughs> like, you know, file their unemployment claims. And I have this weird like anxiety when I have to do like official paperwork on behalf of my agency. Are you scared you'll are you yeah, scared I'm you're scared I'm gonna fraud because I, yes. I know <laughs> I'm scared I'm like that like that and I'm scared of like just messing up for them and them not being able to get the benefits and the money that they need. Um but it's yeah that's been stressful and then with my mom she's a hairstylist. We live in the state of Georgia and you know with Kemp ordering recently that hairstylists, people who, you know, bowling alleys have to open up again. It's been really stressful with my mom having to negotiate her boss and me having to talk to her white male boss on her behalf um, and having to kind of literally ask him and beg him to be like, please let my mom stay home. I don't want her to die out there and touch other people's hairs, you know, heads. Um, so that's been, yeah, it's, and I, I know I'm not the only person who has to deal with this. I know so many other immigrant children have to do this on behalf of their parents. I'm not the only person. And I'm lucky enough that both my parents are allowed to stay home. And also my mom, she gets to keep her job whenever she comes back, whenever she wants to. And while my dad has lost both of his jobs permanently, he's still getting paid, you know, with, through unemployment. So that's been nice. But um, yeah, it's just like the fear of like, the power dynamic of you being a person of color and having to talk to an older white person who's literally like whose parent who's my parents careers are literally in their hands and you're the person like they're relying on in order to negotiate that and you make one wrong move like you're like your whole family is screwed you know wow okay thank you for sharing that um all of y'all thank you guys for sharing everything 
So as we begin, I want to read out a quotation from one of the articles that we all read in preparation for this discussion. Um, the article is about a Chinese American woman and her experience with mental illness. So on reflecting on her family dynamics during her childhood, she writes, when I look back, I realize that we shied away from the important topics. Mental health was rarely discussed, and when it was, it was always in a negative light. At no point did any of my relatives tell me having a mental disorder was unacceptable, but I could tell by their hushed tones and their quick dismissals that mental illness was not an option. So what are y'all thoughts on mental health not being an option, quote unquote, and how does that reflect how mental health is discussed within our cultures? Um, I thought that like the articles that you chose, Ahana, were so relatable, like insanely relatable. Every piece of like, like ways they unpack things, I was just like, wow, I can completely see that. So like something that I thought about, and I think it was like the beginning of um, the article that was like the Chinese American who was like sharing her personal narrative with mental health. And it started off with someone saying like, oh, like don't go to that psychiatrist again. They're going to like tell you you have bipolar disorder. Um, and just like completely rejecting that as a possibility. That's like so in like interesting for me to read someone else having that experience as a person of color because like I think like last semester, like I don't know, like my brother was dealing with some pretty like insane mental health stuff at the time. And so my parents like at least like they were they like ended up like letting him go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist just said like oh, there is a chance that, like, we, we're going to keep, like, like keep having you come, but there's a chance maybe you have bipolar disorder. And my mom was like, Noreen, we, we can't send you to a psychiatrist anymore. This is, like, a psychiatrist who has a degree in, like, mental health, like, saying that, oh, your son could potentially have this. My mom and dad were just like, that's just not a possibility. Like, just completely outright denying it. Even though many people want their kids to always be doctors. Because can be <laughs> I think that, like, that denial is a really, like, interesting thing and very relatable among a lot of people I know that at least in my home like anytime I try to like bring up the fact like I say and I'm very outward about like having anxiety and like depression things and I've had that all my life but I'm outward towards my friends and like people who I know I can lean on and support and who I can count on for support I like very very rarely say it to my mom or I don't even think I've ever said it to my dad and like my mom as a nurse I think she's a little bit more receptive of it but due to like the culture and like the religious aspect that you were talking about Nina I think that there's still that denial of like the possibility that their daughter could possibly be dealing with things that's not just because you know they're like sad in the moment but it could be an actual mental health issue and something that needs to be addressed on like a medical level and like I, I, I mean, I recently brought it up to my mom, too, because, like, during quarantine, like, I think that I have hit, like, levels that are lower than I'm usually at, and, like, that really is affecting, like, my life, the life of my family, and, like, my schoolwork, and so I, tol I told her, like, mom, I'm depressed, like, I, I legitimately believe that I'm depressed, and she was like, oh, like, just, just think positively, like, you have so many positive things happening in your life right now, like, you have a family, your parents have jobs still, like, we're still getting, you, you sell food, right? we still have an income, like, everything's good, and it's like, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I totally understand that, I get that we are relatively privileged, and that, you know, I don't, like, have those things to complain about, but there's a lot of grief that also we have to deal with right now, and those, that's a real thing that can, like, impact your mental health, and so, I don't know, that denial is just very, like, it just permeates throughout our culture and like it's very very painful to deal with I think um and I really still don't know how to like approach it with my family in a way that like gets them to understand the impact that it has and like I guess digest it in a way that makes it okay for me to get actual help and like I'm looking forward to like going to med school and like leaving my home so that maybe I can go get a psychologist without them knowing about it um, so yeah, that article that you shared about the, the, I can't remember the name right now, but the woman who moved from India and got a psychiatrist here in America because she was away from her family. Like I related to that because I was like, that is exactly what I plan to do as soon as I like am in a place to do it. So a lot of the silence around mental health for me, at least is around not wanting to worry my parents like, oh, I can't 
let them see that I'm suffering because they'll worry too much about it. Or um, I, I know for my parents too, like I know that if I admitted to them that I ever struggled with mental health, they would take it personally. And especially my mom would interpret that as, oh, I was a bad mother. I was a bad parent. So now my child is broken because she has like mental health problems. And obviously like that's not what that means. Like we all struggle with mental health challenges and it's not necessarily a reflection of your parenting. But I feel like when you have immigrated across continents, to come and build this new life for you and your children, you take personally every single thing that happens to your children, including mental health. When I think of mental illness not being an option, it always just reminds me of the stories my parents told me when, like, of how they sacrificed everything for me to have the life that I have. And for me to be struggling with mental health, kind of like what Jessica said, like to me to be broken, quote unquote, it's like their sacrifices would be deemed not worth it. Or it's like, I'm, I'm not like living the expectations that they want me to live. And they've done so much for me to get here. So I should be happy. I should be successful. I should be thriving in the life that they like have carved out for me because of their own sacrifices. And like, I think like my, both my parents, but my mom, especially, you have to hold a lot in. And like, you don't get to talk about how your sacrifices have affected your mental health. You're just strong. That's all that matters is being strong and being like a pillar for your husband, but also your children. And so I've asked that a lot. My mom to the point where even now I'm like, oh, like so my parents for context are across the world. They're in India. They've been in India for a year now. Um, and I'm like, whenever I'm like, oh, mom, I missed you. She's like, Hannah, be strong. And I'm like, this is not missing. Isn't a sign of weakness. Like I just missed you. But it's like any indication if I'm not doing great. She just wants to be like, I'm gonna be strong. I've taught you to be strong. Like you can do this. And so that like survival mentality is so ingrained in them to where they can't even admit if they're not feeling their best. I think that like on top of that like immigrant experience, I think that part of it also comes from like the lack of understanding about mental health when it comes from the like countries in which our parents immigrated from. So like my parents are from India and you said yours are too. Um, and I know that, like, in our family, like, we don't, like, we don't have, like, the, like, my parents don't have the labels for mental health that, like, I have learned to, like, have because I grew up in, like, a society that maybe values mental health just a tiny bit more. Um, and so, like, part of that just comes from not having the language, I think. And what's been really interesting for me is that, like, I started thinking a lot more actively about my mental health in high school, but even after college and like being in a society like in college with a bunch of other people who like don't deny mental health made me kind of understand that I can actually address my own mental health. And like, while it may not be a familial, you know, addressing, it's still some sort of address, I guess. Um, and so like when I would come home for like the weekends or something, I would like be with my parents, obviously. And I started noticing these things about like my own parents and specifically my dad. And I think that like, like mental health is yes, a product of the environment, but it's also a product of genetics. And I like wholeheartedly believe that my dad has anxiety and possibly other mental health issues, but like he will never admit that. Like that is never going to be a conversation that we have. That is never something that I'm going to be able to talk to him about so that he can address it. But it's so weird because every time I'm home now, I recognize these little ticks that I have that like he also has, and I definitely got that from him. And so it's just so weird being back for, you know, quarantine with your family and like every day, like seeing my parents and my dad, like go through these things and get extremely stressed out for like the littlest things. And I'm like getting so angry in my own head, but then I'm like, wait a second, like I do that shit too. Like I get so anxious over the smallest things. And so like part of it's just like not having language to like label whatever feelings they're having I think yeah that also makes me think about I feel like as I've learned more about mental health and mental illness in the context of the western society it's made me increasingly wonder what my parents would be like and what my family dynamic would be like and what my relationship with them would look like if they 
had access to that language to talk about mental health, to access therapy if they wanted it, and to be vulnerable with their children about their mental health. Because I feel like for me, a lot of my inability to talk about mental health with my parents comes a lot from the fact that they never modeled that for me, right? Because they're always putting on, as Ahana, you mentioned, our parents are always putting on a strong face for us, right? So the mentality is always, we're doing fine. We can't show our kids that we're struggling. Like we have to put on a strong face and just keep working. Um, and if they model that, then we sort of inherit the same tendencies. And Ahana, um, you mentioning that phrase of like, be strong also really reminded me of something that happened like a little over a month ago to me. It's like when, I know I mentioned in previous episodes that my grandfather on my mom's side passed away. And when I called my mom the night I found out to talk to her about it, like I was crying and I was trying to check in with her and, you know, talk to her adult to adult, like, Hey, how are you doing? I want to check in on you because you just lost your father. And she held it together. Like it was honestly really impressive, but also terrifying because she was just like, Jessica, like, don't cry. You have to be strong. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to have to face a lot of death and loss. Like, be strong. And I was like, you cannot make this about my career right now. Like, you <laughs> just lost someone really close to you. But I think that just goes to show, like, even when they're dealing with grief and loss so close to them, they feel like they have to put on a strong face for us. And that makes it really hard for me, at least, to have like vulnerable conversations and relationships with my parents about their mental health as well as mine. I think the vulnerability thing is so like important to like think about because I think it goes beyond just like showing weakness, like for a lot of Asian people, I think also like, like show, like for instance, um, one of my like best friends, my roommate, like she's white and her mom will come visit her a lot and, um, and her dad will come visit her a lot. And, it's so interesting to see those interactions and then like compare them with the interactions I have with my parents. Like, they're like, Oh my God, like we love you so much, honey. We miss you so much. I'm like, your parents are telling you they love you in front of other people. That's so Because <laughs> I'm just like, I was like, when was the last time I told my like mom or dad, I love them. I was like, I don't really like remember. I think it's just, and a lot of my Asian friends feel like that too. Like this whole thing, like, like hugging your parents, like just like randomly, like, not really something I do that often um and I think that like if I did do that my parents would be like what do you want or like what's like what like you want to buy you something it's just like it's just like that whole trend of like just being emotionless and I think showing your emotions in general is like a sign of weakness like for instance my dad says like crying is literally like a sign of weakness it's interesting like in my house I I've had to actually train my parents low-key to be like when I'm crying, please just let me cry. <laughs> like, accept the vulnerability, you know, embrace it. Um, but, but like, they've gone so much better. Like, now, like, I mean, my mom's always been really expressive with her love. She, she's not like other, she's not like other Asian parents, hashtag not like other Asian parents, but she, she's truly like, I don't know, she she's not afraid to say I love you. She's not very she's not afraid to like give me hugs and tell her coworkers like she wants to like leave work early. She can go home and hang out with her kids. Like she's very open and expressive about that, which I'm really grateful. And it's really made our relationship super strong. And and like yeah, like I love my mom. And it's I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> um oh shit. <laughs> um yeah, but anyways, I wanted to, uh, so, like, it's interesting that, uh, so, I, don't, I forgot who mentioned it, but it was, like, I think, you know, like, our parents, like, they don't like to invite vulnerability, they don't want, they don't want to talk about their mental health issues, if they were to have any, um, I wrote it, like, a little extended metaphor poem thing, <laughs> but basically, it's called The Space in My Head, and it's pretty short, and I'll just quickly read it, if that's okay. There's a book I've learned to read very well over the years. I've basically memorized it. I've carried it with me on and off since the 11th grade, but I suspect I've had it with me for longer, and I simply never noticed it among my possessions. I don't know who the author is. The book is called Depression. On good days, I read the book very fast. I spread, 
I speed through the whole plot from expo exposition to resolution within a whole 24 hours, abandoning everything else, my mind immediately going to my favorite lines and passages, clinging onto the temporary comfort and distraction they give me. On bad days, I read the book in chunks over a matter of days, maybe weeks. On good days, the book is not my favorite. On bad days, I cling onto it and refuse to let anyone touch it. Every two to three months, I reread the book. Sometimes I don't read the book because I'm busy hanging out with my friends and family. Sometimes I don't read the book because I'm doing homework. When I don't read the book, I often feel very guilty. Sometimes the book calls for me so insistently that I have no choice but to abandon my work and go read it. It's the reason I often submit my work late. People don't like it when I read the book so much for other reasons too. I usually disappear or I act very differently. My parents say they don't recognize me sometimes. I agree with them on most occasions. I think on the bad days, I fight back saying, I paid for it, it's mine. But my folks tell me it's, it's on the good days when I fight back. At least I'm doing something else besides reading the same goddamn book all the time. Sometimes I resent my dad for reading the same book I do. He has his own copy and when he reads from it, he likes to read the words out loud and spit them out like he hates them, but can't help and read the book towards its conclusion. My mom has her own copy too. It's binded together strangely and has multiple covers. She takes a peek at it when she thinks I'm not looking, but I always look. My mom brushes the pages wistfully like the words are from an old lover kept secret. Over time, I've realized women often don't get the privilege of reading and learning from these kind of books. They simply don't have the time. They have to be strong. I guess I'm pretty lucky. When my younger sister is bored, she likes to go to my bookshelf and quickly scan for her next read. When her eyes land on the book, I catch her doing a double take and slowly reaching for it out of curiosity. I snatch it away from her as quickly as possible. I never want, I never want her to read this book. You call it censorship, I call it protection. Once I finish the book, I put it back on the shelf and I know I'll reread it again in two to three months, but I'm trying for four to five months, maybe six to seven months. I know this hope isn't sustainable. It's only gotten worse while in quarantine. I know I need to learn how to never read this book again and read something else, something better, maybe with more kissing, maybe with more gentleness. <laughs> But in the meantime, I'm going to go outside and play. Thank you. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Hey. Also good. Hey. That was beautiful. <laughs> Wait, did you write that? See. No, I'm right. Did I miss that? Oh. Yes, I did. Yeah, what <laughs> are you? Oh, I thought this was like a professional poem. Okay, I'm sorry. That's That's really impressive. I want to dive just a little bit deeper on the idea of mental illness or like mental health struggles being shameful. Like maybe that's why we deny them. That's why we don't want to talk about it. Um, and just like the complexity of shame and silence within Asian households. Um, there's a very popular saying in Hindi that I'm sure every Indian person or any person who speaks Hindi has heard before from their parents, um, called, which is Lokyakenge, which uh, translates to what will people say? And so um, I just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on sh like the idea of shame um, and denial. I think the idea of shame is like such an important factor for like the Asian community. I mean, I'm thinking specifically about like like my Indian community of family friends and um, like how the idea of like competition, not competition, but like it's always about like keeping up with the Joneses or like whatever, keeping up with the Reddies, whatever you want to say. Um, but it's like, I think like for most people, thinking about like mental health as something that is like a weakness makes it so that you can never really talk about it with anyone. Like when people ask if something is wrong like admitting to a physical ailment is so acceptable but admitting to like a mental health like issue is something my parents I don't think would really ever do to anyone in our family friend group of Indian people because it's like immediately like that's like oh like again like you were saying like you guys are bad parents or like what are they missing out on in life or like it's because of something like you're doing wrong and it's like oh like I think also the idea that like all of your physical needs are being met, you know? So it's like, it's, it's kind of shameful that you're feeling like that because it comes back to like, like, again, like, what is that reason? And a lot of times, like, there is 
no like overt reason for feeling like that but I feel like it's always shameful I don't know because a lot of immigrant parents come here and are sort of ingrained with this scarcity mindset and the survival mindset there definitely is this element of comparison and maybe competition with other immigrant parents and by extension their children so I remember you know parents are always talking about other people's kids and comparing you to them and comparing them to you and it's very clear that for them those comparisons also reflect on their parenting abilities and so I think part of the shame and silence that comes with mental illness in Asian American communities is, is part and parcel of that. Because if you admit that you're struggling with mental illness, then that makes your parents look bad in the larger community and somehow makes them look like they have failed to raise a healthy and successful child in the U.S. So I feel like it definitely comes from that sort of scarcity mindset that unfortunately a lot of immigrants are forced into when they move here. I also think that there's kind of an element of like not understanding how to treat something that's like a mental health issue. So like treating a physical ailment, I feel like it's just more tangibly um, understandable how you would fix it. Like if you have a broken arm, you go, you get a cast there, it's fixed. But like if you have depression, like the science just isn't, unfortunately, it just isn't there. So we ha don't have like these like go-to steps to treat people. It's very person-based. It's very variable. And like all of the treatment, like most of the treatments that we have, like don't work necessarily, or they don't always work, or, you know, they change like how they work. And so I think there's an element of like, when you do confess that you have some sort of mental health issue, there's also like, I don't know, like, there's an element where like you you don't know how to fix it like I don't know how to fix it my parents may not know how to fix it and like even like the psychologist or psychiatrist might not know how to fix it and so it's like this fear too of like oh like you've got this untreatable thing like what are we gonna do with that you know and like that's uncomfortable I think I think there's like a huge disconnect and like a mismatch between like how Asian Americans view success like I think that like a lot of times they conflate success with happiness and like think that they're the exact same thing and that like to to be successful is to be happy and like don't understand that those are like pretty separate things and like just because you're like getting published and getting into like amazing grad schools and like getting like I mean like doing amazing like internships and like getting really great job offers doesn't necessarily mean that like you're content with like how your life is going and I think that's like the biggest thing is like sometimes even if you do understand that there is a disconnect between success and happiness, success is still more important than your happiness. Um, yeah. And sometimes I, I think I feel like that too. Like it's like, it's so internalized within myself that I can worry about being sad later, but I need to like be successful and I need to like do this thing right now. And then I can like figure out the happiness thing. Like once I become an amazing lawyer or once I become like, you know what I mean? I don't know. And it's hard because like people, you know, we live in a capitalist world and when you're not being productive, when you're not getting stuff done, people demonize it. People say like you are being lazy. And, you know, for someone who, again, I am depressed, like it's just so difficult for me because when I equate productivity, I like just as a depressed creative productivity is like the bane of my freaking existence and I talk about this all the freaking time but truly I don't want to equate my worth and happiness feelings of happiness with being productive and hustling and working hard for other people or working hard for myself I just want to literally do nothing and be okay with that when you say like working hard for other people it really reminds me of like how I think like a lot of us think is like we're really not working for our for ourselves like that for me at least it's not like the sole motivation I think like one really big motivation and I'm sure a lot of us feel like this is like working for our parents to like make them proud and like kind of like show them that like their sacrifice is worth it like we were talking about but it kind of reminds me of this story like my one of my close friends was talking to his mom and he was like I don't want to be a doctor like I really would rather go into business um but and she was like but, but it's been your dream forever and he's like oh it's like not my dream it's your dream and she was like 
well, you've already been like living my dream for so long. Why don't you just go ahead and finish it? <laughs> and he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mom, what the fuck? Dash oh, Disney Channel. She said that. <laughs> that also reminds me um, how I feel like in a lot of communities of color, not just Asian Americans, mental health in general is very much associated with whiteness. And I think that's part of why we don't talk about it because it's like, oh, that's just the thing that white people deal with. Like, that's not a problem here. Um, partially because, you know, language around mental health is culturally constructed and the way we think about mental health is a product of our environment and our society. Um, but it also, I think, reflects how a lot of the mainstream language and discourse around mental health in this country doesn't necessarily speak to the experiences of people of color and of immigrants. So, you know, when we're talking about mental health, like, who are we talking about? Whose mental health are we talking about? When we're talking about treatments and therapy and strategies to deal with mental health, I mean, we can do a whole another podcast episode on how capitalism has commodified self-care and taken it down a completely different direction that has nothing to do with real mental health. But that has a real impact on how communities of color think about mental health because when you see that and that's how mental health and self-care is being represented in the mainstream it's really easy to see that and be like oh well that's not for me like I can't access that I'm not going to go take like a bath with a bath bomb and then do a face mask and cure my depression so like what's the point so I feel like a lot of what needs to change to make communities of color, including Asian American communities, more vulnerable and open to talking about mental health is also diversifying our conversations about it in the mainstream. Because if, if we continue to represent mental health as just something that affects white people and that only white people and rich white people have access to care for, then we're never gonna get anywhere. That just like struck such a nerve with me, Jessica, because my parents like they I'm lucky in some ways because they have like always really let me like handle my own stress and like commitments and so if I'm like I'm too stressed out they'll be like okay, okay like chill it's fine but their definition of me like chilling and doing things for me is like I'll just lay there and like do a face mask and like take a long shower and I'm like that's not self-care like okay yeah sometimes it is sometimes okay I do face masks but like that's not like maybe I instead would love to talk to you about my anxiety and have you guys listen to like listen with an open mind like maybe that's a better version of self-care and like I mean I love my parents and when they tell me like hey like just chill you know once you turn in your last exam just do nothing for a week like my mom would literally be like just lay there <laughs> like, like thank you for caring about my happiness but also what like what what did you see and where did you learn that this is what self-care and this is what handling quote-unquote mental health is it's not I'm like just, just, I'm not just saying that just really like reminded me of that like I just think about like everything you guys are talking about and I think of like wait a minute what if my entire personality has been changed and impacted by my depression and my current personality isn't my actual personality and then I stumbled upon my childhood videos a couple like days ago and I saw how happy and joyful and weird and sassy and obnoxious I was. And I realized, wait, if that's my real personality, then who am I now? Is it, it like, and then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you said about like, not really knowing like who you are outside of like your mental health issues is such a big thing. And I've thought about it a lot lately. Disclaimer, I was like taking CBD for a little while and that like really helped me release a lot of the anxiety that I had felt from like just life and like in the moments of not feeling anxiety not being like completely overcome by it for like hours on end I like felt happiness it isn't just such an emo thing to say but I like felt like real genuine happiness and I was like shit like I used to feel like this for long periods of time and now I have to take this stupid medication to like even get an ounce of it I feel like, Teresa and Sashi, what you both said also really just goes to show how much we still think about mental health and mental illness as something that's like unnatural and abnormal and disruptive, because you always think of it as, some, as something that's like outside of yourself, or that's something, that, something that's like an invading 
you and your personality and like fundamentally changing who you are. And I know something that I've been thinking about more recently is like trying to reframe that and thinking about like, oh, this is just part of who I am. It doesn't determine who I am. It's not all of me. Like there's a lot more to me than this one mental health problem that I deal with. But at the same time, I'm not going to deny that it does like influence who I am and that's okay. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to think about how like we can frame mental health and mental illness in different ways and think about it potentially as just another part of who we are while also recognizing that it is something that can be worked on, um, but without determining all of your identity. Very well said, Jessica. So because of this pandemic, many of us have had to leave college and go back to our parents' houses. I kind of just wanted to discuss if anyone wants to talk about how has living at home affected our mental health? And we mentioned it a little bit more, but it'd be cool to dive in. Um, yeah, I think something that I forgot that my parents do that like has become more clear since I've like moved home, they totally normalize a lot of really, really um self-destructive and mentally unhealthy behavior okay like for instance my parents like genuine belief is that you should check your weight every single day if you're trying to lose weight they're like you know are you checking your weight every single day and I'm like I don't think that's healthy behavior like most people tell you that that's like something you shouldn't be doing and shouldn't be obsessing over that like one number that fluctuates for so many reasons and my parents are like no no if you want to be motivated, you got to check every single day and see how your body is reacting. And like, this is just one of like so many things that just completely normalize, like self-destructive, like probably kind of unhealthy behavior to the point where I'm like, huh, is that right? Like, should I be checking my weight every day? And I'm like beginning to question myself. And I think that's been very hard because there's definitely like so much like body shaming and health shaming. And then also I know we, we haven't really touched on like relationships, but also like, if I like want to see my boyfriend, my parents are like, why do you just see him so much? Like, why don't you guys just like talk on the phone? And I'm like, it's not the same thing. <laughs> are all of y'all in relationships? Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, who's the, if you're single, everybody put your hand up. <laughs> 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 I'm the only person with my hand up. Hand up. <laughs> Nobody puts their hand up except for me. Oh, Teresa, you're too good for the UGA dating pool. Thank you. Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that all of us are kind of in different situations, right? Because it seems like me, Nina, and Teresa, we're all at home with our parents, and then you are living, Jessica, with your partner, and then Ahana, you're living with your roommate, right? So all of us kind of have like a different situation going on, which is like a really, I, I like that we have different perspectives in that um realm um yeah I can speak a little bit to like living with parents like it's definitely one the abruptness of it was something that like made me feel a lot more comfortable just because like I was ready to go back home after college ended because I know that max it was going to be like a month before I find a job or something like that and all of a sudden it was after spring break I had another like two months of being like home with them which is like an excessive amount of time that I never thought I'd actually have to be home for and then I also don't know if I'm going to get a job now because you know our economy is like for shit so like I don't really know what's happening so like I am quarantined with them for a long time and like I already know that like living at home when I you know before I came to college was already very stressful I know that a lot of my anxieties stem from that and a lot of the childhood trauma that I face has like manifested in mental health things that maybe I don't have a label for because I don't go to like a psychologist or anything but like eventually we'll have language for it um but I know it's like impacting me and like since I've been here I've like felt those things that I haven't felt in a long time come back like those it's it's like this really weird deja vu where I'm just like, God, I felt this before, but it's been so long since I felt it. And like, it's hard for me to cope because I think that I spent college kind of trying to fix myself and like trying to like develop those healthier habits. 
and like now I'm just back here and like those habits are coming back and those feelings are coming back and it's really difficult to cope with and another thing is that like I am at home and this is kind of like an offshoot topic, I guess, but like my parents don't really believe in relationships and they don't really believe in having boyfriends. Like that's not a thing that my family does. And like, I know it's a little different for a lot of other Indian families. Um, I think that Nina, you mentioned that your parents will recognize that you have a boyfriend, which is nice. Um, for the oh, they still use there. the word friend. My dad's oh, like, how's okay. your friend doing? And I'm like, okay, well, they've been dating for six years, but okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, just to make sure, my parents also use the word friend. I have expressed <laughs> that I have non-friend feelings for him pretty often. I bring his name up pretty often, but whatever, it's fine. Um, but yeah, now that I'm at home, like, I don't have an excuse to, like, go see him, really, because, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to go see him? Like, they don't think that we're they we don't do anything like you know like why can't we just talk on the phone and everything like that so like it's really hard and then also like I have a lot of responsibilities at home and like I do a lot of things and so like finding the time to talk on the phone and FaceTiming isn't as easy as when it was like when I was in Athens and when I was in college and so all of it's just kind of piled up into this huge mess that like my head is like trying to wrap itself around but like I can't, but yeah, that was a really long-winded way to say, like, things are kind of shitty. <laughs> um, Sachi, what you were talking about really made me think about how I think part of that, too, is coming from the fact that we're at that perfect age where we're, like, on the cusp of adolescence and adulthood and because we, a lot of us are moving back home and spending a lot more time with our parents, they're not really confronting the fact that we are becoming adults and are gaining more independence in our lives. Um, and I think that does affect how they view our romantic relationships too, because they kind of have this mindset of, oh, like, who are you going to be spending time with except for us? Like, we retain exclusive rights to your company and to your time. Like, why do you need to be spending time with anyone else outside of the family? Family comes first. And I feel like that is just exacerbated by being in quarantine. Um, but I know that's happened with um, a lot of other people, too, is that, like, their parents just kind of don't take seriously that they have other commitments to other relationships. Um, and that their time spent with other people is just as valid as the time that you spend with your parents. All right, everyone. So we're going to go ahead and move towards wrapping up this episode. Thank you for listening today. Hopefully we discuss some difficult topics that many of you could relate to, especially during this hard and unprecedented time. Um, so just to conclude on like a positive note, as we all Recognize that our listeners are going through stuff too right now. Um, we definitely want to give messages of like positivity and optimism for the future. So if you, any of you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners, um, whether it be a message of hope, self-affirmation, or recommendation um, for like self-care or something. I think that like something that's kind of been driving me these past couple of like, I guess now months, not even just weeks. Um, it's like, and it and it's easy to say it and it's harder to do it, but like extending yourself a little bit of forgiveness for the things that you may not be able to do, for the feelings that you're having, for any like progress you think you may be like retracting on. Like I know that it's really difficult to see yourself. It's it's been personally difficult to see myself like go back into a lot of the like bad habits that I developed in high school. Um, and a lot of like those like intrusive thoughts coming back and like it does feel bad and it, it it can bring someone down but I think that like extending yourself forgiveness and like saying that it is okay to feel this way that progress isn't linear and that you will find a way to like persevere because like you're a strong human being like I think that that's like a really good message of hope that I've kind of been clinging on to so um I can go so something that quarantine and living in isolation has made me think about a lot is how much I took for granted pre-quarantine 
um, whether that's just spending more time outdoors or going to my favorite coffee shop, even if it's just to like read or write a paper there or hang out with friends. And obviously the biggest thing is just spending time with people I love and just getting that face-to-face time. And I think it's easy for a lot of us to take that for granted now. And I know I'm like the poster child of like canceling plans and like just being like, eh, I don't feel like being social today. Um, and obviously sometimes saying no to that kind of stuff is self-care and that's totally fine. But I know that I personally am so excited for whenever we can go back to having face-to-face interactions um it's just made me view my friendships in a much more appreciative light and really be thankful for all of the time that I did get to spend with you guys and with so many other people in my life so you know to to leave a positive note I think it's helpful for us to think about you know all of the things that we're take we used to take for granted that COVID-19 is really making us realize now and think about how we're going to change our actions so that we don't take them for granted in the future. R.I.P. Walkers. R.I.P. Walkers. Truly. Pour one out. Um, This is a shout out to the lonely people out there. (laughs) I know I've kind of been like jokey basically this entire podcast episode, but I think one thing that I've been repeating to myself every day to help me get through each and every day is you're not alone in how you feel your depression and your anxiety and your situation makes you feel like you're the only person suffering through this but I'm going to tell you that you deserve the love and attention that you give to other people and I know that sounds so freaking cliche but like I'm telling I'm here to tell you it's okay to feel selfish. Um, kind of on the same like feelings of loneliness thing that Teresa was talking about. I like recognize that it's really hard to talk about mental health and I feel like the same way sometimes. And this podcast has been really awesome. Um, talking with you guys about some of the things that we like go through, have gone through in our past, um, because of not only just who we are, but also because of like, you know, being Asian American. So to anyone listening right now, I really urge you to share your story and like talk about what you've been through with someone that you trust. There's so much power in like just speaking your thoughts out loud and like validating them in a way. I just, whoever is listening, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. We're in this together and you're going to be okay. So just talk about how you feel with someone that you trust. Um, so I promise like mental health struggles and just like feelings of like inadequacy or like pointlessness and unhappiness that's not something that you need to like burden on your own shoulders at all that was beautiful thank you yeah Yeah. that was really awesome (laughs) we're gonna wrap this episode up uh thank you again to everyone for listening we hope you guys stay well and happy and safe and healthy during this time bye Bye. Bye. signing off